Good. All right, we're going live. We're definitely live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Data on Kubernetes uh, community live stream number 94. Getting super close to 100. Uh, very excited uh, about today's live stream for several different reasons, which we'll get into in a second. But before we do that, just want to have a quick announcement. Everybody should know that KubeCon is happening next week. Well, if you didn't know, KubeCon is happening next week. And on top of that, the Data on Kubernetes community will be celebrating its second co-located event, the DOK Day, which will be on October 12th. It's 100% free. Um, all you got to do is add it onto your KubeCon registration. If you're not registered for KubeCon, just get in touch with me and we'll find a way to get you in there. I'm going to post a schedule in there in the chat right now. Um, we've got that uh, next week. Tomorrow, we have the very first DOK Students Day. Also very much looking forward to that. We'll have about 30 talks, 25 of them will be given by students, many of whom will be giving talks for the first time, which is an interesting coincidence because our two guests today, Tammy and Prima, both met each other once upon a time with something related to public speaking. Is that correct? Yep, sure is. We met actually um, after we went to a Pinterest meetup and it was a meetup about Grace Hopper conference, which we both had. I think we've both never been to it. I've never been to it, right, Prima? And um, yeah, we were interested in just meeting other people who wanted to go to Grace Hopper and also speak. So we met through a spreadsheet, which is really funny. It's like the nerdiest way I've ever met anyone. We didn't actually meet at the meetup. <laughs> that is true. We uh, totally just met on that spreadsheet. And then at some point, Tammy was organizing, uh, she used to run this amazing meetup in San Francisco called Ladies Who Linux. And um, uh, for that, she was inviting a whole range of speakers to um, uh, give talks on various subjects. And she saw my name and a whole lot of other people's names on that spreadsheet uh, because we had signed up under the security section and she wanted to do a meetup uh, dedicated to security. So then um, uh, of all the people she reached out to, I happened to actually get back to her email and yeah. um, uh, that was pretty much my first time uh, giving a talk of any kind ever in my life. So that's how we met. That's the story of how we connected and basically stayed in touch ever since. And, you know, been uh, exploring all kinds of things, been sharing all kinds of information and just being, you know, best of friends. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yep. Since from 2015, I think it was maybe to now. So yeah, and yeah. we're actually both from Australia too. So that's how we. I know. We came from Australia to America. Yeah. You, yeah, right. you cross the world and you meet on a spreadsheet somewhere else. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, cool. that's how life goes, man. But, but I think I think I think it speaks to the power of a few different things. Is like never underestimate, you know, what can happen in a different place. And also the importance of making that effort to actually get in touch with somebody and establish something yeah. here you are six years later. So I think that says a lot to that too. Folks, you know, don't be afraid to take a chance. Um, the worst thing could go wrong is you go to the next person on the spreadsheet and try them. Exactly. Um, so that's cool. You may have noticed uh, for the audience, you may have noticed that in Tammy's bio, uh, she's got a, a, obviously a lot of stuff there, but I want to touch on a couple of things is that you, in terms of your, your free time, and I don't know when you have free time, given all the other stuff you're doing, but in your free time uh, that you enjoy, you know, um, I, I think it's uh, surfing, is it snowboarding or skiing, because that's a very Snow, snowboarding. Thing. Okay, yep. yeah, you can really offend somebody very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, also skateboarding or yep. I just see, okay, okay, because I've, I've seen some of your live streams wearing thrasher gear. So I was like, okay, 
I, I, like many people from California, I had a skating phase that ended abruptly at the age of 14 when I broke my wrist skateboarding from then on, it was, it was kind of prohibited, but, um, I'm just kind of curious, you are from Australia. So that does kind of go along with that naturally. But what I would like to know, and, and Prima, don't worry, you're going to be next, is for both of you is how you can relate these things that you do in your free time to your work. You know, because Tammy, you are very much an SRE working at Gremlin. How, how do those two things kind of interact with each other? And if you can as well, too, you also mentioned that you really like hardcore punk. How does that play? Yeah, yeah definitely. So I think I've always loved extreme sports um, and I started to do them when I was pretty young. You know, I got, I got my first skateboard when I was maybe like six years old or something from my grandma, like awesome grandma. It's like a pink skateboard. (laughs) And um, ever since then, I've just loved all sports. Like since I moved to, I I live in Florida now and I got a uh, stand-up paddleboard. That's like way less extreme, but I also jet ski a lot too. Um, And yeah, like, you know, jet skiing in the ocean is actually pretty scary between like giant, um, giant boats for like cruise cruise ships so yeah it's actually pretty intense through massive like six foot waves but I've done that and it is so fun and I think like you know big thing of my life is like I've always just enjoyed having fun like that's a big thing about me and I think work should be fun and life should be fun and you should be able to work with great people that you have fun with and meet awesome people in tech that you have fun with and I just like really believe that that's how I live my life And so, yeah, like I was always inspired by like, how can I find something really like engaging and interesting to do when I'm working in tech? And that really led me to, I worked in both security, but also liability engineering. So I love this talk that we're coming together to talk about both. Um, And I, I just, you know, I definitely thrive. Like I'm able to be calm amidst chaos, which is something you have to do for extreme sports. Like I used to, you know, ollie down huge sets of stairs and I actually got uh, sponsored for a while skateboarding when I was 19. Um, and so, yeah, that's the whole extreme sports side. It helps me be calm, but also to learn new skills. And that's a big thing that you have to do in when you're learning sports is you're always trying to improve your skills, your craft. And I do that in tech as well, because everything's always changing. You want to get better and better. And then, uh, with punk and metal, I just always love the community behind it. Like being able to meet other people that love the same music as you, that, just have a great time. I just went to a four-day music festival, Louder Than Life, and saw all these cool bands like Pennywise, Metallica, oh. like Judas Priest, and it was amazing. And everyone was so friendly. Everyone just came up to me, chatting to me. So I love that about tech too, the community. So really great to be here with everyone today. Like I hope to connect with you. Like please, like you know, add me on LinkedIn. Happy to meet you. And, you know, it's, it's fun. Like, I'm so glad I sent that email to Prima to be like, hey, like, we should hang out. You know, we've been friends ever since. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's true. I think, and a couple of things here is, is, as you mentioned, like, for anybody that's tried skateboarding, but by extension, surfing and snowboarding, like, there is a margin of error that hurts. Like, you're yeah. going to fall. And, yeah. there's, and the only thing you can do is get right back up. And you can apply that to work in so many ways is, is, you know, if you want to use the sort of slogan, you know, pain is weakness, leaving the body or better yet doing retros and then applying those learnings to the future. There's a lot to be said for that. And also the element of community. I think that's a really strong point that was mentioned in a live stream we had about two weeks ago where someone said, don't make Kubernetes a technical problem, make it a, make it a problem that has a human answer. So make it a community thing, like get involved with other folks that are going to be there to support you. And whether it's going to a music festival or I think that's the thing is as much as we can involve a music festival atmosphere in these sort of technical communities, I think it's just much more enjoyable. So I completely agree that there shouldn't be a distinction between one and the other. Why can't you have fun um, doing both? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be super serious. Like 
Definitely. <laughs> Good. All right, Prima, you're up. So can you tell us a little bit more about yourself in terms of things that you like to do in your free time and how you can relate that to your work uh, in security? Yes, absolutely. So in my free time, I enjoy dancing. Dancing is my one of my most uh, serious passions uh, besides work. And um, uh, I also enjoy poetry, uh, reading in general. And um, uh, that's how I met my partner. I, oh. I met my partner also through another meetup, which oh, was definitely oh, a spreadsheet. A, a spreadsheet or no? No, was it, was this one's actually in person. This one okay. through meetup.com. And um, uh, we run a poetry meetup uh, here in San Francisco. Uh, it started with, you know, the Hindi, Urdu, and Sufi poetry. Hindi being the language uh, that is one of the most widely spoken ones in our country, in India, and uh, both Hindi and Urdu. And um, Sufi is just, you know, uh, from inspired from Persia and all things Middle East. So that's how we met. And then slowly but surely enough, it became a world poetry meetup where we used to enjoy wow. poetry in all kinds of languages. So uh, even the ones that we didn't understand, but that sounded really beautiful, uh, that also happened. And then other than that, um, I dabble into all things creative. You know, I love uh, playing around with my camera and I love classical music, um, both Indian and Western. And uh, that's, you know, that's what I do in my time uh, when I'm not working. And she's an amazing dancer, I have to say, like amazing dancer. She does performances and everything. So, yeah, you got to follow her on social. I was, was going to say, any, so any, cool. yeah, any links, any links where we can get firsthand access? Um, not not so much yet, but uh, hopefully in the near future, now that I have cool gear to record high quality Ooh. clips, because I'm also very particular about what kind of uh, content I'd want to put out there and how I'd want to uh, represent myself. Um, that's, you know, so tying that back into how it reflects in my work, right? Uh, one of the things that's kind of my pet peeves is half-assing things. I do not appreciate that at all and I kind of hold myself to that standard and uh, that you know I'd, I'd hope that that shows in my work um, I guess my peers say that it does show in my work so uh, I'm pretty grateful for that gift um, and another gift that I believe that comes from these arts is um, the sense of aesthetic right mm -hmm. code is not devoid of aesthetic code just because it's machine uh, doesn't mean it can't be beautiful and often it's beautiful code that's also readable, that's also easily debuggable, that's um, well scoped, that's uh, concise, that's clear. So, you know, what these arts teach me, the softer side of things, is this beauty and appreciation for it. Plus, you know, as it goes with philosophy and um, uh, classical arts of any kinds, you always keep the unknown be beyond you you're always chasing the unknown. Um, be as an artist, uh, all kinds of artists, all kinds of great artists, that's what they're doing at all times. Uh, they're always trying to seek something that they haven't yet found or yet experienced. And that helps me to be courageous in the type of projects that I take, right? 
so I am not afraid of uh, venturing into territories I know nothing about. And recently, uh, that happens to be Kubernetes, in fact. Um, I'm trying to dabble into Kubernetes. I'm trying to set up this uh, environment in stage and production at work. And uh, this is something that I'd never done before, let alone doing it with internal tools uh, that you can't find answers in Stack Overflow for. And uh, I'm basically going error to error and that's fine, right? Because that's the path we've chosen. If we don't keep that unknown beyond us, then, you know, uh, th this complacency sets in. Surely it sets in. Sometimes it sets in, you know, over a longer period of time. The other times after a few years, you might start getting complacent. And um, the arts inspire me to not get into that mind space and always try and reach and explore, venture into territories that I know nothing about. Wow. We are in live stream number 94. We're only 13 minutes into this and this is already a fucking classic. This is amazing. Um, seriously, is that, because I think you really hit the nail on the head and perhaps I apologize to the audience because our title should not have been security and SRE, but rather chasing the unknown. And I don't think anything could ring truer in our community, the data on Kubernetes community, when we're talking about things that are very new, where most people are going to be doing these things for the first time. And so that sort of beginner mind, beginner's mind, or as you mentioned, chasing the unknown, I think that's huge. I think another point that you mentioned previously about how you can listen to poetry or appreciate and interact and observe with poetry that you don't even understand the, the language of origin, but you can still enjoy it. I think there's a lot to be said about that regarding technologies. I think the other thing as well too, that you said that code can be beautiful. And sort of this debate around tech that is it art or science. I would definitely shift more towards the side that it's art. There are scientific elements of it where you can say that there are some rules and governing principles, but I really encourage uh, folks to open their eyes more or use different eyes when interacting with the stuff that they're doing to try to see it in that kind of way. Anyway, what amazing introduction. Um, I don't think anybody's ever done a better introduction than the two of you. So we are here though. The, the, the official title was, however, Security and SRE. So let's try to start dealing with this a little bit more. Um, in terms of, particularly considering, you know, the events that happened yesterday with, like I said, with Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp having this, you know, uh, downtime uh, supposedly related to DNS and some things related to configuration. But perhaps, um, I, I don't know, Tammy, if you'd like to start with sort of your background on SRE and maybe where you see the role of security coming in, however you want to take it. Yeah, sure. So yeah, yeah. I mean, yesterday was a huge day on the internet with Facebook going down for several hours, as well as Instagram and WhatsApp. And um, I mean, I had a lot of non-tech friends reaching out to me, asking me like, why is Facebook down? Like what's going on? And so I started to try and explain to them like, what is DNS? Um, and that topic actually was pretty interesting for them because they don't really know much about that. And then also like, what is BGP? And like reading through to understand like what actually had happened. And, you know, the thing for me is like DNS failover, testing that, testing that um, if something happens with your DNS, with your networking, that you're able to, to not have an outage. Like that's something that I've done like so many times in my life because I'm a big fan of chaos engineering, which is the idea of like purposely injecting failure 
So, you know, I work at Gremlin, we build a chaos engineering platform and we even have a DNS attack. Like we recommend that our customers run that regularly. And when I worked at Dropbox before Gremlin, I've been at Gremlin for almost four years now, four years next month, which is really exciting. But um, before this, I was at Dropbox and I led databases as well as the storage team. And we would do a weekly DNS failover exercise, chaos engineering experiment weekly, like for Dropbox to make sure that if something occurred, then we wouldn't have an outage because we always had redundancy. And it was interesting talking to my non-tech friends because they were like, well, how does that happen by accident? Like, how does something just go wrong? And I had to talk to them a bit about like, you know, you can have error because there's not guardrails to prevent that. And maybe you haven't done proactive chaos engineering to make sure that you're ready to handle failover in that specific situation. And, you know, we call it like fat fingering maybe or whatever you want to call it, like when something goes wrong. But then I started to talk to them about like blameless postmortems. And it's more about like, how can you prevent these things from happening? How can you put up guardrails so that computers don't cause outages and impact all of your customers? So that's like a topic I'm super passionate about that you can actually like prevent these issues from occurring. And also like, I'm definitely noticing that the world, like I try to tell my friends about blameless postmortems. They were just like, what are you even talking about, Tammy? That's some sort of like, you go to a meditation camp to like to come up with this topic. Like they are not okay with the fact that we just say, oh, it's blameless. It happens. Like they're like, no, like this needs to be up and running. Like I depend on this. Imagine how many people are using that to communicate with their family day to day, like as their sole messaging app or their friends. So, you know, I think systems and the internet's much more critical now and we're seeing more and more outages all the time. So yeah. that's what I think about it from an SRE perspective. Yeah. That's great. Whether it's Slack, whether it's Google, you know, it, the, the, you know the unthinkable seems to be happening. I really like what you mentioned as well too regarding the blameless postmortems. We had a great uh, live stream about a month ago with um, uh, somebody who's in the CRE team, the customer reliability engineering um, team at Google who was talking about blameless postmortems. Because in these, in, in these moments, you know, everyone's expecting like, so who's going to be the scapegoat? Who's going to have to resign? You know, but yeah. the thing is here is not looking at a personal failure, but looking where in the system does this need to be corrected in order yeah. to prevent them from happening in the future. And I think that's something that a lot of folks in any organization can learn from. So as not to, you know, come running with the knives out, looking for someone to start attacking and yeah. rather thinking, okay, what can be done to prevent this in the future? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no, but, but sorry, go ahead. But I also want to know a little bit further, chaos engineering, you know, working deeply within Gremlin, congratulations on, you know, about to be uh, finishing four years there is, do you feel, I, I have no idea, statistically speaking, what percentage of organizations have that built in? Have um, chaos engineering built yeah. in or practicing chaos engineering? It's still a very new, um, actually a new practice, a new area for folks to like explore. So, you know, chaos engineering, I'm sure many of you listening have heard of Chaos Monkey, which was created by Netflix. This is like back like actually 10 years ago now. I think this year is the 10 year anniversary. Um, but chaos engineering is, we have like a lot of like, you know, customers at Gremlin that you would have heard of that practice chaos engineering with Gremlin. So Target, Walmart, JPMC, like so many big names, you know, banks, airlines, health insurance, e-commerce, um, you know, yeah, Twilio, where Prima works, she's at Segment Twilio. Twilio is a customer of Gremlin. And I think it's awesome that folks are like, how can we 
prevent these issues from occurring? How can we make sure this specific issue never happens again? That's like one of my favorite questions to ask a team as an SRE. How can we make sure this never happens again? Like, I don't like that idea. Like what Prima said about complacency, just like going like, oh, you know, something bad happened. Like, no big deal. Like brush our shoulders. Like, let's move on. Like, no, like how can we make sure it doesn't happen again? Like what happens if this happens again next week? Like we're going to be so embarrassed. It's like a pie in our face. You know, you want to like get on that quickly and resolve it. So it doesn't happen again. Um, that's just my type of personality. I don't, I, as an SRE too, like, I don't want to be the person that's embarrassed that we did that, you know? So like, I would take personal, like, just, you know, me as my career, wanting to do a good job. Like that's just how I am as a person. So, you know, I think a lot's changed. I've been in tech for a really long time now, since like, you know, 2009, working on critical systems at banks, at Dropbox, Gremlin. I worked at DigitalOcean as well. And mm-hmm. I just have a personal care um, that your system should be up and running for your customers. Yeah. All right. Good. Now, uh, Prima, where does, you know, where does security get involved here? If we're talking about SRE, you know, when does security kind of arrive on the scene and what's the role of security in SRE? Yeah, of course. So um, I'll start by saying that security and SRE uh, in a lot of ways go hand in hand. Uh, just the other day, I had one of my, one of my teammates jokingly call me SRE Prima. And that was for a reason, because see, um, where it intersects the most is that both security and SRE care about availability. Uh, Both care about making sure that the systems are up and running no matter what. And um, security then, of course, goes the direction of making sure that uh, there's, you know, all the authorizations happen correctly as well. And um, uh, our customers' data is encrypted uh, appropriately and uh, privacy and so on as well. And then privacy now has also become a kind of branch of its own. But I feel like, you know, all these streams, uh, especially security and SRE, um, came from the same source. Uh, eventually, as it uh, evolved in its own right, it um, became a stream, a different stream. So I'll give you an example. You remember uh, back in the day when we did not have this fancy title called SRE, we used to have sysadmins. And um, uh, if you remember, I don't know how many people would remember this, but uh, a hard requirement for anybody to get into security um, at the time was uh, some experience doing sysadmin work. It could be either with databases, it could be with networks, it could be with servers, um, maintenance, upgradation, so on, um, all kinds of networking and so on. That's the world um, I came, I come from. That's how you know things were when I started in the industry. So when it came down to availability, anything, um, it's either, you know, security dictating that, uh, okay, all these detecting, first of all, that all these things are broken and uh, could mean that our gates are wide open for the attackers to come in and uh, take some of the artifacts with them that we wouldn't want them to take. And uh, often the fixes would be something that we'd then have to take to the SRE and uh, say, hey, look, these are the problems we've found. And these are how uh, these are the ways in which we can fix these, but we can't do it ourselves. Can you please help us do it? Or can you please uh, drive this? Or can you please give us access to your systems? That you know happens fairly rarely now. But um, 
that's how the two intersect. Uh, when it comes down to domain everything, you know, DNS everything, domain takeovers like Tammy would know are one of the biggest risks if your uh, domains uh, don't have appropriately assigned owners and so on. I could claim that I own your domain. I could claim that I own facebook.com and um, the certificate issuing authority would, um, you know, probably give me a, a certificate for it. If I, I'm able to fake it well enough, I'd be able to do all kinds of things with it. So um, yeah, that's definitely a big risk that both uh, reliability wise and security wise, it's a big enough risk. And um, this is something that SREs and security has to come together on you know, solving as well. And um, um, if you like, I can you know, get into some of the questions that I have for Tammy now as yeah. well uh, around that, right? Yeah. Uh, because I think it would be really great to know her perspective on some of, some of these things. So, uh, you know, I am really curious talking about how, you know, SRE and security come kind of go hand in hand. Um, I'm curious uh, what inspired Tammy to switch from malware analysis and security to SRE back in the day. So for a lot of people who may not know, um, Tammy used to work for a major bank in Australia and uh, she started her career in security and now uh, she does all things SRE. And so how and why the transition happened? Yeah, so when I was doing that work, it was so exciting and interesting. And like I said earlier, I love to learn new things. And I had a pretty cool opportunity where I was doing automated malware analysis. So I was writing all of the code to analyze malware that we were capturing um, that was targeting banks to understand more about it. Um, and then also um, I was doing phishing takedowns. Um, that was really interesting too. And I was in that role because I had done this program that was like a rotational program straight out of university. So I could rotate through different departments. And I, I applied to work in the security engineering team. I went there, went for my interview, got the role. And it was like super awesome, great team. I worked with all these ex-detectives from the Australian police force, like really senior. And I learned so much from them, like working with them. It was amazing. Like, I, I mean, I'll never forget it. We also did like forensics, computer forensics. So it's like a lot of really cool stuff. And I sat next to the guys who were doing all of the pen testing. Um, and something that they said to me, like when I was there, they were like, you know, we'd love for you to stay in this team, like your rotations finished, like, what do you want to do next? And they thought that I'd be really good at uh, penetration testing, actually, because I just like love to read code. That's like a funny thing of me, but I could read any code in any language and just like be able to understand it. Like what Prima said about listening to poetry in any language and appreciating it. Like I'm the same with code, like give me any code, any language, I'll make sense of it. And so they were like, we think you'd be amazing at this, like it'd be really good. And when you're at a bank, you actually have to, you use a lot of code that is not code that was written by your engineers. Often it's like even code written by other vendors or third parties. And you want to check everything to make sure it's okay. So we're building a lot of tooling around that, doing penetration testing and um, just being able to understand everything. So I thought that was a really cool opportunity and I could have done that or I could have stayed in the, um, I was in the cyber emergency response team doing all of the malware work and phishing and forensics. Um, but then I got another opportunity where they were like, would you like to work on a, 
a brand new team um, and you'll get to, you know, be part of building a, the first ever online only bank in Australia. And I was like, oh, that was pretty cool too. So I just like had too many cool opportunities. And um, and I ended up deciding to go and work on that project, which was Ubank. Um, you know, it's ubank.com.au and it's owned by the, by the bank that I was working at, the National Australia Bank. And um, that's actually why I decided it was just because this one-off opportunity came up. And I always thought like I could go back to security. Like this is just something new that's happening right now. Like I could always go back and I really loved it. Like, so a lot of people ask me, why did I leave? And it was just because of a very, you know, time, like something just came up and I decided to take it. Um, and I never realized actually though, how much the security work that I had done would help me with my SRE work at all. Like I did not think of that until I started to do it. And then I realized like every time you work in SRE, like the teams that you work closest with um, are actually the security team and the networking team. Those are the teams I work closest with. And then you also work with like the product engineers who are building features. But I would meet with, um, you know, the security team every single week at every role that I've had to be able to understand how can you better work together? How can you prioritize certain work that they need you to do that you need them to help you with? Um, so it was awesome to have the experience of both. I love that people are calling Prima like the SR, SRE Prima now because it's true. Like the best security engineers care about availability no matter what. Like that is like what I think is amazing. And I wanted to ask Prima a question too. So, yeah, I'd love to know um, from your perspective where do you see security going in the next five years? Because it's changed a lot. So yeah, where do you think it's going to go? Yeah, so um, I'll you know start by kind of giving you an overview of uh, what the past looked like in order to better understand what the future may look like. Because often you know you, in order to understand future uh, future trends, you often have to look back in history, right? Because a lot of, I feel like a lot of these things are a lot of the trends of all kinds, be it fashion, be it art, be it uh, computer science, they're all very cyclic. Cyclic in the sense that um, A happens, then uh, people realize all these problems with A, then they do B, then they go too much into B, then they realize all these problems with B and they go back to A again in just a slightly different way. So that tends to happen a lot. Um, the direction in which I see security going in the future is basically, you know, a lot more hands-on DevOpsy, very um, heavy into coding as well. So um, here is what happened, right? There was a time around the time when I was getting, you know, into the industry. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, there was, in some ways, it was like an unsaid requirement that anybody who tries to be a security engineer knows these basic things ab about uh, networking, about databases, about systems. Um, so, you know, in some ways, they, they at least have to be a level one sysadmin type of person before they can even inject themselves in security because security is such a broad specialty that in order to be able to secure uh, any infrastructure um, well, you need to be able to know so many different components of it. And you don't need to know it um, uh, like at from on a scale of 100 to uh, 0 to 100. You may not need to know it at a 99 uh, that a full-time sysadmin needs to know it, but you at least need to know it at a 60 or 65, you know? 
uh, and that that was the trend. Then what happened was in between somewhere, um, security became very analytics or analysis heavy, where a lot of the security engineers were no longer required to be, you know, so hands-on and um, weren't required to write a lot of code or rather any code uh, other than, you know, uh, maybe the firewall rules that you'd put in place or um, networking, routing rules that you'd put in place and so on. That too, you know, often that would be done by the networking team. And that became, um, you know, that was a phase that lasted for a couple of years. Um, and, you know, that was, that is actually very evident, I feel, from my uh, personal GitHub history. If you'll see in the last couple of years, uh, the amount of time, my uh, amount of commits have gone high up like so much. Whereas in between there was a phase where there was like nothing. Even if I wanted to get into hardcore, uh, you know, the actual engineering practices in security, I couldn't because that wasn't required because, you know, the industry was working more on maturing the response processes were working more on, you know, um, the ability to get like good third party penetration tests done so that we can then ensure that we fix, uh, fix all those gaps and so on and so forth. Plus, you know, another trend that kind of came into the picture was um, all things cloud, right? So when I started in the industry, I used to work on uh, bare metal, securing the bare metal devices. I've even done racking and stacking of firewalls. I've gone to a physical data center and, and stacked firewalls in there uh, and so on. And that, you know, that was very much a thing. But with the, you know, uh, po popularity of AWS and as it became more um, widely adopted by the industry, the smaller players, people who are just getting into startups, uh, started hosting all their things on AWS. And then, you know, surely enough, that's become the primary ecosystem that um, they've been uh, hosting all their um, things off of. So, that those are the directions in which uh, the trends have changed and uh, in the future i see um, you know a lot more so security engineers uh, being required to code a lot more automation has become a huge part of security narrative and um, i'm you know really glad that i am at a place that enables us to dive into it encourages us to dive into it so um, i've been off late you know i've been focused on a lot of responding a, a lot of response works and how we can automate the responses to alerts uh, that's been a big uh, kind of trend something that has be uh, you know peak interest of so many people if you look at some of my very recent talks that i've done I've done them on that topic, how we automate away security out of like on-call burnout or how do we automate us away out of a rut that sets in, you know, by responding to the same kind of alerts in the same way, like a million times. If, if it's doable the same way a million times, then it's automatable. And that's, <laughs> I can see Tammy nodding really hard. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> a million times, yes. Yeah. But I'm always like, yeah, if you can automate it, why not? If you're going to do it again, definitely. 
Definitely. Exactly, right? And I feel like in the process of automation, because we are setting up, in, uh, setting up infrastructure now and we are writing code, uh, if it's a you know, solution that you built in-house or even if you've adopted open source, which we did, you still write a lot of code, um, even with somebody else's framework, like you take that as a starting point and then you build on top of it, right? So uh, becoming better builders also enables us to be better security engineers because now we see all these things that uh, people can easily do wrong uh, and that how do we enforce the right behaviors in subtle nudges or um, in subtle ways that, you know, such that it becomes second nature, doing the secure thing becomes second nature to uh, the engineers or to the DevOps people. So a lot of the trends are basically that. Yeah, becoming DevOps engineers yourselves and becoming the uh, devs yourselves and then um, bringing that security perspective into everything that you do. And often, you know, uh, creating things yourself also gives you more empathy towards the engineers uh, you're trying to kind of explain best security practices to. Because the more you build, the more you realize just how hard it is to build and how easy it is to just uh, sit there and criticize. And that's not who we want to become as security yeah. engineers. That's a, great points. I've got a couple of questions, but we got a question from someone, we've got two questions from someone in the audience. Um, do certifications carry weight when we're talking about security and DevOps jobs? In, in yes your and experience? no. Yeah. Okay, I'll start since I'm, I've unmuted myself already. <laughs> yes and no. So security certifications carry weight in the sense that if you're completely new to the industry, they give you an overview of some of the basics. Having said that, security industry uh, so by far has been one of the most immature ones in uh, actually setting out um, a set uh, core you know, basics uh, at all. So um, you do get a flavor of security, I would say, but um, uh, the job that you might, uh, you know, find yourself in end up, might end up looking very different. And so in that sense, what might come in handy is uh, the tool specific uh, trainings or the system specific trainings that once you get your foot in the door, you should easily be able to acquire. Amazon, I know, uh, offers a lot of certifications in many different, you know, uh, streams, depending on what kind of work you want to do and uh, what kind of systems you want to deal with. You can easily onboard yourself and train yourself through um, various training platforms. Another place where certifications hold a good you know, amount of weight is government jobs. So if you plan on applying for those, if you plan on applying for jobs in the financial industry, they do carry a bunch of weight because a lot of the uh, regulations uh, require at least pa your, uh, partially uh, your team to be certified and uh, carry certain you know, specialty certifications. It helps companies uh, get you know, past their audits, financial companies particularly. So yes, if you plan on uh, joining any of the traditional industries, uh, government finance, healthcare, then yes, security certifications can be useful. 
Yeah, I would just add to that too. I'm a fan of certificates, specific certificates, um, like Prima mentioned, the AWS ones. I think those are really good, definitely. And then also, um, actually, I've always wanted folks to be able to get certified in certain things that I'm trying to help folks learn about, right? In terms of chaos engineering, SRE. So recently I was like, well, there's no certificate for chaos engineering. So I made one and you can do it for free if you go to gremlin.com slash certification. And I talked to a number of different companies and they all said, if someone has this certificate, that would get them um, a phone interview, which is super cool, right? They're like, if you pass this certificate, it shows not only that you could pass it, but also that you have interest in chaos engineering. You went out of your way to take the certificate. You learn about it. It's pretty hard to pass. One in five folks pass. Um, and so I, that was a cool thing that I was really excited to be able to build for the community and give away for free. Um, and then the other thing that I think is cool is like the Kubernetes certificates that are out now. I think those are great. What Prima said around getting certificates for specific like technology, specific platforms or software. I think that's so smart. And both of us have computer science degrees. So the idea of doing certificates is that it's additional learning. You know, you don't want to just like stop. I went back and did some post-grad computer science, studied like a master's of computer science as well. I still felt like that was too easy. I like certificates more because they're like, you can make them challenging and like interesting and like help you learn new relevant skills. So that's why I love it too. And I did work in a bank and yeah, Prima's totally right about certificates helping you not only get a job within a bank, but also get promoted to earn more money. It helps you with that. And um, you actually have a mandatory number of hours that you need to commit towards learning every year. So you have to pick something to do. So why not have a certificate that you'll keep, you know, for a really long time? I think that's awesome. And add it to your LinkedIn. Yeah. At the same time. Yep. Go ahead. Go ahead. At the same time, I'd say uh, please don't underestimate uh, learning by doing because that's one of the best ways to learn. Pick a project, uh, set a goal uh, that involves technologies that you want to learn more about. And you'll be surprised just how much you'll be able to learn by um, trying to build that thing, uh, getting to the end goal, reading a thousand documents along the way and reading like so many people, so many views on staff, a stack overflow on the subject along the way as well. So uh, definitely, uh, you know, if you want structured learning uh, and if that's more of your jam, go the certificate route. If you're more of, you know, project driven, uh, I want to see how this manifests itself in reality in um, a real corporate environment, go the learning by doing route. Yeah, and I do both as well. Well, I was just going to say, I think both, you know, can also be accessible depending on how much time you have, but while doing a certificate, you know, certification process that you're directly applying that knowledge to some kind of a project, seeing that how it works on the ground and also interacting with people directly that, you know, that can relate to that um, and, and help you grow while networking too. And you say, hey, by the way, I'm also getting certified. You never know. So I think long-term, those strategies are always good. Now, a question that I had, because you were kind of touching on this, Prima, and, and I want this for, for both of you as, uh, as well, Tammy, is that what are some of the difficult conversations that both in security and in SRE that you've had to have? And that perhaps maybe you didn't, because so much of this comes down to communication, as much as it's a technical role, is that you have to knock on doors or send emails or, you know, ping people and say, hey, maybe you weren't aware, but we've got these things that we need to take care of. I think so much of that comes down to, you know, what we, if we want to call them soft skills or transversal skills, what are some of the kind of difficult conversations that tend uh, to arise in both security and SRE, or perhaps the two combined? 
Tammy, I guess maybe you want to start. Yeah, sure. I was just trying to think and I've like, honestly, I don't feel like I have difficult conversations, but the reason is because I do a lot of work so that when I ask for something that I need help with, it isn't like a difficult issue. You know, I've, Mm. I've already done a lot of work to network internally, to meet people that work alongside me. I prefer to work at companies for many, many years so that you get to know people around you. Um, that's just what I love to do. Whenever someone new starts, I always try and like sync with them do like a remote coffee. Um, and I also just, I mean, the cool thing about working at startups is you can know everyone that works at your whole company. I've also worked at huge banks too, but I just use Yammer to try and like get to know people so that it didn't feel like it was like, you know, a cold intro, like, Hey, I'm the SRE and I need you to do X. Like, I think people just don't like that. But if it's like, Oh, that's my friend Tammy. And like, I met her over coffee and now like three weeks later, she needs something for me. And, and I'm always like, you know, I'll scratch your back. You scratch mine sort of person. Like, let's just help each other out. We're all here for the same reason. We're trying to have a great career and do the right thing. So the difficult conversations, it's never been like that. I'll say the most difficult conversation is like, if we've already got a program running to do like, say, for example, disaster recovery, I remember this and um, having folks that are new to the company come in and be like, why do we need to do disaster recovery? And I was like, well, there's like so many reasons, but let, let's just sit down, like, let's grab some lunch and like, let's chat about it or let's have a coffee. And I'd be like, because we need to do it for audits. You need to do it to prepare for IPO. Like you need to do it to make sure that we're reliable. We can't just assume that we are. And then they understood it and we're fine. So it's sometimes I'm like surprised when people ask questions like that because I would assume that they would know why we have to do it. But if you're new to industry, like you don't know. So that's like something that I have to always remember. Like folks don't know this. So we have to help them understand and like take the time to talk to them and get to know people. And like, the tip there is like real human connection. Like we're lucky we get to talk to other people, not just computers all day, you know? So like, it's cool to just like get to know people, learn about them, work with them, be their partner. Yeah. Great points. One of the things I always tell people that are curious about participating in, whether it's Kubernetes, open source projects, what are the prerequisites? Be friendly. That's what I would say. It's like, this number one, like a yeah. little bit of kindness goes a long way. And you know, we want to talk about pay it forward, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. I think that, and then like you said, then those conversations aren't so difficult because you've already put money in the bank, you know, like yeah. you, you've established those relationships, you've shown people that you will help them and that you will also need their help, you know, empowering yeah, totally. people by the fact that, like you said, that there may be a day when you're going to need some assistance and it'll, you yeah. know, go both ways. Exactly. Exactly. Good. Prima, any thoughts on that before we move on to further questions that you have for each other? hundred percent. So uh, I was just going to add to the uh, point of don't assume people know. That is very true uh, for things that you ask of them as well. So for example, um, there was a time when um, uh, I, I was on a project where I needed to get our all of our computers patched, all of the servers, our entire ecosystem. Um, and about 80% of them had never seen a patch in more than five years. And that is a really long time when a huge fleet um, of your ecosystem has never been patched and suddenly these people, uh, your sysadmins are asked to patch it. um, How do you think they react to it, right? There are all kinds of hiccups that come through and suddenly, you know, they're looking at a mountain and um, they are utterly confused about how will they ever go about moving this mountain. But um, uh, if you sit there, help them and try and 
make that problem bite-sized, they'll probably be, oh, um, uh, they might not be able to move the mountain, but they'll be able to move one rock at a time. And before they know it, the mountain has been moved. So um, that, you know, implementing those type of strategies helps. Plus there was also a scenario uh, that I experienced where um, during that patching, um, uh, this team kept saying that um, we applied patches, but I don't know why it's showing up uh, as not patched on your side. And, you know, one of the first things that you do as an engineer in that situation is not just rely on your report and call them, you know, lying or whatever. You don't do that. You take the approach of giving them the benefit of the doubt. And then you compare and you see, hey, let's sit down. This is really interesting why it should show up the way it's showing up differently for you and differently for me. And then um, uh, you help them rule out different possibilities. So, you know, I was able to get a, find a, uh, a root cause for it uh, with, you know, by sitting down uh, with our engineer, our sysadmin. And we were literally able to, uh, I was like, hey, why don't you open this? Why don't you open that? Let's check this. Let's check that. And sure enough, you know, when we looked at uh, our some of our install programs, there were two versions of the same system that were in installed. So the newer version got installed, but the older did not get uninstalled, which is why uh, my report kept saying that the system is not patched, while their report kept saying that they have deployed a patch. Both were both were right. So. Yeah, sit down with your engineers and don't assume they know everything. Help them debug. Um, even if you don't know anything about the system, you might be able to bring a fresh perspective in where you think uh, they might need to look. And that may help them. You never know. So always be open to sit down with people and get hands on, get your hands dirty. Love that advice. Me too. Uh, further questions that you'd like to ask each other, go for it. Let's see. One of the questions that I was interested in is, um, let me see, I wrote one down. What's your advice for folks that want to get into security, like in the next few years? I know a lot of people want to, so yeah. That is, um, so this is a twofold advice because this advice is not only for people who want to get into security, but this is also for people who are looking for entry-level engineers, okay? And I'll start with the uh, latter. People, if you're looking for entry-level engineers, don't make your job requirements such that they need like 10 years of experience and they need uh, they need to know these systems. You know, sometimes you may not explicitly say that they need 10 years of experience, but you might say that, oh, you need to be experienced in this, 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 and that. And there's no way an entry-level engineer has experience in all of that. So be careful, be mindful, and look at your job descriptions and look at what you're saying in your JD uh, so, and in order to in, be more inviting for entry-level engineers to uh, come in. Have the right uh, set of expectations in terms of you know, what, uh, what skills they may or may not be able to bring and um, uh, make sure that you know, those expectations are realistic. So that's for the people who are hiring. Now for the people who are trying to get into the industry, there are you know, so many ways uh, in which you can uh, try and maximize your chances. So one of the ways is um, get your fundamentals uh, cleared. 
in this day and age, AWS is looked upon as a fundamental. Try and get a certification if you can, um, or at least go through the trainings. You know, a lot of the times, if you, I understand you might not have the money to pay for the certificate. That's perfectly fine. You don't, there are so many trainings out there that uh, will give you, you know, a free training, but uh, in order to get the certificate, you'll have to pay. So then don't pay for the certificate. That's fine. Just get through the training and um, know your basics. That will come in handy. There are so many blogs that uh, people put out there where they have uh, described, you know, how to prepare for a security job interview. Uh, go through them and go through as many of them as possible because those will help cover so many different grounds and so many different systems and so many different aspects that you may otherwise miss. Um, there's a concept of, you know, in networking, there's the concept of seven layers. One of the most useful advice that one of my uh, seniors, one of my mentors had given me when I was an entry-level engineer was uh, have the ability to first know the, all those seven layers. And then next, have the ability to uh, map different types of attacks to every one of those seven layers and um, uh, have the ability to be able to say, hey, at which layer do you think this attack might be performing? And uh, how can, what can we do? What kind of tools can we implement to um, protect it, um, uh, protect that particular layer? So have that type of a mindset and approach. And uh, more importantly, be, you know, eager to learn um, in, in, uh, uh, with examples, demonstrate your eagerness to learn. Give exam in interviews. Always give examples. If you're claiming that I can do X or I have done X, um, give examples of how you've done it. Or if you think if you're claiming that um, because you've done X, you can do Y. If you think so, then say that. Say that I've done X and this is how it maps to Y. So even though I have not yet done Y, I should be able to do X in this method. That helps the um, interviewers also understand uh, your kind of abilities uh, to learn things on your own if need be. And that's very important, right? Um, of course, brush up a little bit on your coding skills. Um, so that you are able to, a lot of the security jobs these days require uh, at least a basic uh, coding skill level. And you can start with Python. Um, Python is one of those languages that has, you know, even Google has uh, printed, a I mean, published a uh, guideline on kind of Python 101 that tends to be very useful and uh, relatively straightforward. So uh, try your hands on Python, that should help as well. And um, uh, the last, but you know, one of the most important things is networking. Uh, show up at as many different events as possible, connect with individuals. I know in COVID times, it's so difficult to uh, network, but um, try and you know, show up to virtual meetups uh, if and when there are 
um, any, like, you know, the uh, data on Kubernetes meetup, right? Uh, for example, yeah. Yeah, for example, exactly. Uh, connect with us. Um, if you have specific questions, feel free to, you know, find us on Twitter, find us on LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to send us a message um, if there's a place where you think you're stuck or in fact, if you are interested in a particular role at either Tammy's or my company, um, feel free to link us to the role, uh, tell us, send us your resume, tell us you're interested in it, and um, we should be able to refer you and um, hopefully you at least get an interview out of it, right? So uh, find people at the companies you want to work at. Um, and try and approach them uh, by saying, hey, uh, I know you from this XYZ meetup or place and uh, um, I was interested in this opportunity. Will you be able to help? And, you know, be open to them saying no as well, because not everybody is going to be um, saying yes and maximize your chances of getting in by maximizing how many places you interview at. That's one of the sure shot strategies of getting any job in any field. Give 100 interviews, 99 of them may not work out, one will, and that's fine. That's all you need. I think that's a great point. I think also the, the previous point of, generally speaking, the best way to get to know a company is to, if you know somebody who works there, because one thing is what you see on the website or in social media, but to really know how it goes on the day-to-day -day and the ins and outs, when you actually know somebody, I think that's when you can really get answers to your questions and know if it's going to be the right fit. One thing is if you want a job, but maybe it's not the right place for you um, based on your values, your interests or things like that. Um, one question that we had here really quickly, any thoughts on doing uh, capture the flag challenges? Will that help me improving my security skills? Uh, it helps improving some skills. Uh, it helps improving your hunting skills. It helps, uh, definitely helps in the time uh, of, you know, an event of incident response, because that's literally the time when you are uh, trying to look for artifacts, uh, logs that may not be readily available. Um, and you're trying to look for something very specific and you may need to get creative in the way you're looking for it. So it certainly helps. Uh, as far as the crypto challenges are concerned in a lot of these CTFs, they are not necessarily directly translatable in uh, security work, but a lot of the other uh, skills that you acquire from it are very much translatable. So uh, especially the challenges, especially focus on the challenges that uh, involve, you know, uh, um, take, getting PCAPs and um, reading through those PCAP files, like using tools like Wireshark and uh, trying to, you know, understand uh, what kind of data is being uh, transferred and uh, what kind of, you know, um, like information you need to retrieve from it. Um, so yes, CTFs can be helpful. It also helps make connections with, um, you know, the companies, people at the companies that are hosting these CTFs. So they help you get noticed. If you do really well in CTFs, a lot of those companies that are hosting it may um, at least, you know, uh, invite you uh, to uh, give an interview on site uh, in some ways or another. And if you, you know, if you won a CTF and then you are reaching out to the host saying, hey, I'm uh, interested in this particular opportunity that adds to your credibility, right? So now that person is more likely to consider you uh, for that role and refer you for that role versus somebody else who, 
um, they haven't seen uh, demonstrating those type of skills in person yet. Okay. One one last thing, Prima, do you have another question that you'd like to ask Tammy before we wrap yes. it up? Okay, good. Of Let's course. do it. Yeah, I do. Uh, one of the questions that I have for Tammy is, uh, you know, this may be relevant to a lot of the kind of uh, mid-career level people in the uh, community at the moment. Uh, that's about switching tracks, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, there are uh, two ways uh, in which you switch tracks very successfully in your career so far. Mm-hmm. One is going from a specialty to another, which is you know security to SRE. And then the other way you've done it is going from uh, IC to management and also the other way around, going from management back to IC. So um, how, how did you manage to pull off all these uh, seemingly very difficult transitions and uh, how did you prepare for it? How did you ensure that uh, you were successful in all those uh, the way you have been? Yeah, I'll answer quick because I know we're at time, but like I think the number one thing that you should do is just figure out what you want to do with your career. Um, the way that I switched roles was either internally at the company I was already at by networking and meeting people, um, and then they just approached me with a job. So that happened a lot when I was working at the National Australia Bank. Or um, actually, I, you know, changed companies and said, I'm looking for an IC role specifically. Like, I've already led teams for the last seven years. I would like to go back and focus on my technical skills for a while. Is that cool? Are you cool with that? And then they were like, yeah, we're cool with that. So that was it. Like, you know, just asking and making sure that you follow your own dreams. So thank you so much for having us. My pleasure. That was absolutely fantastic. I have a quick question. Are either or both of you going to be at KubeCon? Uh, remotely, but not in real life. But okay. there will be a Gremlin booth, so definitely oh, check yeah, it yeah, out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. We'll definitely swing by Gremlin's booth. No, just in case, I will be there. Um, but uh, regardless, I'm sure we will cross paths at some point at, a, at some kind of an in-person event. And until then, virtually speaking, like I said, we've done over 90 live streams. This is definitely one of my favorites. And I don't say that in every live stream, just in case. You <laughs> Thanks, no, I really, I really enjoyed the quality of this conversation. Genuine, honest answers, solid advice, unpacking a lot of this stuff that can seem overwhelming for folks that want to get into this space. Um, definitely had some great comments in the YouTube chat of people that are curious about, hey, how can you get into SRE or security? Uh, so mission accomplished there. In terms of following uh, the two of you, Tammy, you're quite easy to find on Twitter. Prima, are you on Twitter or you're not? I am. I go by the handle of Sec Nerdette because I'm a security nerd, but I like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm also a female. So I go by the title of Sec Nerdette on uh, Twitter. That's how you can find me. That is one classy name. And Tammy, what's your name just in case folks want to look for you? Yep, it's Tam Bryant Budo on Twitter. And then, yeah, feel free to have me on LinkedIn too. Yeah, folks, reach out. You've obviously seen very accessible and open people, transparent to the core. Um, thank you so much for your time today. We definitely got to plan another live stream. And and we'll, we'll even talk about some uh, some other stuff because I'm doing a show now on Cloud Native TV um, where we're, we're talking about art as code. And so the intersection between art and technology. So with some of the topics that we talked about, we could kind of take a deeper dive on that later on. So hopefully we can get that scheduled for either 2021, if not 2022. But anyway, thank you both so much. Um, shout out to everyone in the audience. Keep it coming. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thanks everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Cheers. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you so much for hosting us, Bart. This was indeed one of my favorite um, you know, talks. 
in the recent yeah. past at least me too i this think it's I really, amazing i really needed this on multiple levels and oh. i was looking forward to it and it exceeded my expectations that are already high so anyway thank you both so much 